Chapter Twenty One of By Pike and Dyke: A Tale of the Rise of the Dutch Republic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. By Pike and Dyke by G. A. Henty. Chapter Twenty One: The Siege of Antwerp. On the tenth of July, fifteen eighty four, a deep gloom was cast over all Holland and England by the assassination of the Prince of Orange. Many attempts had been made upon his life by paid agents of the King of Spain. One had been nearly successful, and the prince had lain for weeks almost at the point of death. At last the hatred of Philip and Parma gained its end, and the prince fell a victim to the bullet of an assassin, who came before him disguised as a petitioner. His murderer was captured, and put to death with horrible tortures, boasting of his crime to the last. It was proved beyond all question that he, as well as the authors of the previous attempts, was acting at the instigation of the Spanish authorities, and had been promised vast sums in the event of his success. Thus died the greatest statesman of his age, a pure patriot, a disinterested politician, a great orator, a man possessing at once immense talent, unbounded perseverance, a fortitude under misfortunes beyond proof, and an unshakable faith in God but terrible as was the blow to the netherlands it failed to have the effect which its instigators had hoped from it on the very day of the murder the estates of holland then sitting at delft passed a resolution to maintain the good cause with god's help to the uttermost without sparing gold or blood the prince's eldest son had been kidnapped from school in leyden by philip's orders and had been a captive in spain for seventeen years under the tutorship of the jesuits maurice the next son now seventeen years old was appointed head of the state's council but the position of the netherlands was still well-nigh desperate flanders and brabant lay at the feet of the spaniards a rising which had lately taken place had been crushed bruges had surrendered without a blow the duke of parma with eighteen thousand troops besides his garrisons was threatening ghent mechlin brussels and antwerp and was freely using promises and bribery to induce them to surrender dendermond and vilvoorde both opened their gates the capitulation of the latter town cutting the communication between brussels and antwerp ghent followed the example and surrendered without striking a blow and at the moment of the assassination of the prince of orange parma's army was closing round antwerp sir edward martin was at antwerp where he had gone by the queen's order when he received the news of the murder of the prince whom he had seen a few days before he was filled with grief and horror at the loss of one who had been for six years his friend and whom he regarded with enthusiastic admiration it seemed to him at first that with the death of the prince the cause of the netherlands was lost and had the former attempts of philip's emissaries upon the prince's life been successful such a result would no doubt have followed but the successful defence of their cities and the knowledge they had gained that the sea could be made to fight for them had given the people of holland strength and hope their material resources too were larger than before for great numbers of the protestants from the other provinces had emigrated there and had added alike to their strength and wealth at first however the news caused something like despair in antwerp men went about depressed and sorrowful as if they had lost their dearest friend but sante aldegonde who had been appointed by the prince to take charge of the defence of antwerp encouraged the citizens and their determination to resist returned unfortunately there had already been terrible blundering 
william de bois lord of treylong and admiral of the fleet of holland and zealand had been ordered to carry up to the city provisions and munitions of war sufficient to last for a year the money having been freely voted by the states-general of these provinces but treylong disobeyed the orders and remained week after week at ostend drinking heavily and doing nothing else at last the states enraged by his disobedience ordered him to be arrested and thrown into prison but this was too late to enable the needed stores to be taken up to antwerp the citizens were under no uneasiness they believed that it was absolutely impossible to block the river and that therefore they could at all times receive supplies from the coast on both sides of the river below the town the land was low and could at any time be laid under water and sante aldegonde brought the prince of orange's instructions that the great dyke called blavgaren was to be pierced this would have laid the country under water for miles and even the blocking of the river would not have prevented the arrival of ships with provisions and supplies unfortunately santa aldegonde's power was limited the butchers guild rose against the proposal and their leaders appeared before the magistrates and protested against the step being carried out twelve thousand cattle grazed upon the pastures which would be submerged and the destruction of farms homesteads and orchards would be terrible as to the blocking up of the river the idea was absurd and the operation far beyond the power of man the butchers were supported by the officers of the militia who declared that were the authorities to attempt the destruction of the dyke the municipal soldiery would oppose it by force such was the state of things when the only man whom the democracy would listen to and obey fell by the assassin's knife and his death and the obstinate stupidity of the burghers of antwerp sealed the fate of the city sante aldegonde had hailed the arrival of elizabeth's envoy and consulted with him as to the steps to be taken for the defence of the city he himself did not believe in the possibility of the river being stopped it was nearly half a mile in width and sixty feet in depth with a tidal rise and fall of eleven feet ned agreed with the governor or burgomaster for this was st aldegonde's title that the work of blocking this river seemed impossible but his reliance upon the opinion of the prince was so great that he did what he could towards persuading the populace to permit the plans to be carried out but elizabeth had so often disappointed the people of the netherlands that her envoy possessed no authority and the magistrates with whom were the wardmasters the deans of all the guilds the presidents of chambers and heads of colleges squabbled and quarrelled among themselves and nothing was done the garrison consisted only of a regiment of english under colonel morgan and a scotch regiment under colonel balfour but these were in a state of indiscipline and a mutiny had shortly before broken out among them many of the troops had deserted to parma and some had returned home and it was not until morgan had beheaded captain lee and captain powell that order was restored among them beside these were the burgher militia who were brave and well trained but insubordinate and ready on every occasion to refuse obedience to authority the first result of the general confusion which prevailed in antwerp was that herenthal's was allowed to fall without assistance had this small but important city been succored it would have enabled antwerp to protract its own defence for some time the veteran mondragon as he took possession remarked now it is easy to see that the prince of orange is dead and indeed it was only under his wise supervision and authority that anything like concerted action between the cities which were really small republics was possible 
quietly but steadily the duke of parma established fortified posts at various points on both banks of the lower scheldt thereby rendering its navigation more difficult and covering in some degree the spot where he intended to close the river nine miles below the city were two forts lillo and liefkenshoek one on either side of the stream the fortifications of lillo were complete but those of liefkenshoek were not finished when parma ordered the marquis of richburg to carry it by assault it was taken by surprise and the eight hundred men who composed its garrison were all killed or drowned this first blow took place on the very day the prince of orange was killed lillo was garrisoned by antwerp volunteers called the young bachelors together with a company of french under captain gascoigne and four hundred scotch and englishmen under colonel morgan mondragon was ordered to take the place at any cost he took up his position with five thousand men at the country house and farm of lillo a short distance from the fort planted his batteries and opened fire the fort responded briskly and finding that the walls were little injured by his artillery fire mondragon tried to take it by mining teligny however ran countermines and for three weeks the siege continued the spaniards gaining no advantage and losing a considerable number of men at last teligny made a sortie and a determined action took place without advantage on either side the defenders were then recalled to the fort, the sluice-gates were opened, and the waters of the Skelt, swollen by a high tide, poured over the country. Swept by the fire of the guns of the fort and surrounded by water, the Spaniards were forced to make a rapid retreat, struggling breast-high in the waves. Seeing the uselessness of the siege, the attempt to capture Lillo was abandoned, having cost the Spaniards no less than two thousand lives parma's own camp was on the opposite side of the river at the villages of beverin kalu and borgt and he was thus nearly opposite to antwerp as the river swept round with a sharp curve he had with him half his army while the rest were at stabruck on the opposite side of the river nearly ten miles below antwerp kalu stood upon rising ground and was speedily transformed into a bustling town from this point an army of men dug a canal to Steken, a place on the river above Antwerp twelve miles from Kalu, and as soon as Ghent and Dendermond had fallen, great rafts of timber, fleets of boats laden with provisions, munitions, building materials, and every other requisite for the great undertaking Parma had in view, were brought to Kalu. To this place was brought also by Parma's orders the shipwrights, masons, rope-makers, sailors, boatmen, bakers, brewers, and butchers of Flanders and Brabant, and work went on unceasingly. But while the autumn wore on the river was still open, and in spite of the Spanish batteries on the banks the daring sailors of Zeeland brought up their ships laden with corn to Antwerp, where the price was already high. Had this traffic been continued Antwerp would soon have been provisioned for a year's siege but the folly and stupidity of the municipal authorities put a stop to it for they enacted that instead of the high prices current for grain which had tempted the zealanders to run the gauntlet of the spanish batteries a price but little above that obtainable in other places should be given the natural result was the supply of provisions ceased at once did you ever see anything like the obstinacy and folly of these burghers sante aldegonde said in despair to ned when in spite of his entreaties this suicidal edict had been issued what possible avail is it to endeavour to defend a city which seems bent on its own destruction the best thing to do ned replied in great anger would be to surround the town hall with the companies of morgan's regiment remaining here and to hang every one of these thick-headed and insolent tradesmen 
it would be the best way sante aldegonde agreed if we had also a sufficient force to keep down the city these knaves think vastly more of their own privileges than of the good of the state or even of the safety of the town here as in ghent the people are divided into sections and parties who when there is no one else to quarrel with are ever ready to fly at each other's throats each of these leaders of guilds and presidents of chambers considers himself a little god and it is quite enough if any one else expresses an opinion for the majority to take up at once the opposite view i looked in at the town hall yesterday ned said and such an uproar was going on that no one could be heard to speak twenty men were on their feet at once shouting and haranguing and paying not the slightest attention to each other while the rest joined in from time to time with deafening cries and yells never did i see such a scene and it is upon such men as these that it rests to decide upon the measures to be taken for the safety of the city ah if we had but the prince here among us again for a few hours there would be some hope sante aldegonde said for he would be able to persuade the people that in times like these there is no safety in many counsellors but that they must be content for the time to obey one man on the flemish side of the river the sluices had been opened at saftingen the whole country there with the exception of the ground on which kalu and the other villages stood was under water still the blavgaren dyke and an inner dyke called the kovensten barred back the water which had it free course would have turned the country into a sea and given passage to the fleets of zealand now that it was too late those who had so fiercely opposed the plan at first were eager that these should be cut but it was now out of their power to do so the lord of Covenston, who had a castle upon the dyke which bore his name had repeatedly urged upon the antwerp magistracy the extreme importance of cutting through this dyke even if they deferred the destruction of the outer one enraged at their obstinacy and folly and having the spanish armies all round him he made terms with parma and the spaniards established themselves firmly along the bank built strong redoubts upon it and stationed five thousand men there as the prince had foreseen the opening of the saftingen sluice had assisted parma instead of adding to his difficulties for he was now no longer confined to the canal but was able to bring a fleet of large vessels laden with cannon and ammunition from ghent down the skelt and in through a breach through the dyke of borkt to kalu sante aldegonde in order to bar the borked passage built a work called fort Teligny upon the dyke opposite that thrown up by the spaniards and in the narrow passage between them constant fighting went on between the spaniards and patriots still the people of antwerp felt confident for the skelt was still open and when food became short the zealand fleet could at any time sail up to their assistance but before winter closed in parma commenced the work for which he had made such mighty preparations between kalu and ordum on the opposite side a sandbar had been discovered which somewhat diminished the depth of the stream and rendered pile-driving comparatively easy a strong fort was erected on each bank and the work of driving in the piles began from each side a framework of heavy timber supported on these massive piles was carried out so far that the width of open water was reduced from twenty-four to thirteen hundred feet and strong blockhouses were erected upon each pier to protect them from assault had a concerted attack been made by the antwerp ships from above and the zealand fleet from below the works could at this time have been easily destroyed but the fleet had been paralyzed by the insubordination of treilong and there was no plan or concert so that although constant skirmishing went on no serious attack was made 
the brave teligny one night going down in a rowboat to communicate with the zealanders and arrange for joint action was captured by the spanish boats and remained for six years in prison his loss was a very serious blow to antwerp and to the cause on the thirteenth of november parma sent in a letter to antwerp begging the citizens to take compassion on their wives and children and make terms parma had none of the natural bloodthirstiness of alva and would have been really glad to have arranged matters without further fighting especially as he was almost without funds and the attitude of the king of france was so doubtful that he knew that at any moment his plans might be overthrown the states in january attempted to make a diversion in favor of antwerp by attacking bois le duc a town from which the spaniards drew a large portion of their supplies parma although feeling the extreme importance of this town had been able to spare no men for its defence and although it was strong and its burghers notably brave and warlike it seemed that it might be readily captured by surprise count hohenlohe was entrusted with the enterprise and with four thousand infantry and two hundred cavalry advanced towards the place fifty men under an officer who knew the town hid at night near the gate and when in the morning the portcullis was lifted rushed in overpowered the guard and threw open the gate and hohenlohe with his two hundred troopers and five hundred pikemen entered these at once instead of securing the town scattered to plunder it happened that forty spanish lancers and thirty foot soldiers had come into the town the night before to form an escort for a convoy of provisions they were about starting when the tumult broke out as hohenlohe's troops thought of nothing but pillage time was given to the burghers to seize their arms and they with the little body of troops fell upon the plunderers who at the sight of the spanish uniforms were seized with a panic hohenlohe galloped to the gate to bring in the rest of the troops but while he was away one of its guards although desperately wounded at its capture crawled to the ropes which held up the portcullis and cut them with his knife thus those within were cut off from their friends many of them were killed others threw themselves from the walls into the moat and very few of those who had entered made their escape when hohenlohe returned with two thousand fresh troops and found the gates shut in his face he had nothing to do but to ride away the enterprise having failed entirely through his own folly and recklessness for it was he himself who had encouraged his followers to plunder had he kept them together until the main force entered no resistance could have been offered to him or had he when he rode out to fetch reinforcements left a guard at the gate to prevent its being shut the town could again have been taken parma himself wrote to philip acknowledging that had the rebels succeeded in their enterprise i should have been compelled to have abandoned the siege of antwerp but now the winter upon which the people in antwerp had chiefly depended for preventing the blocking of the stream was upon the besiegers the great river lashed by storms into fury and rolling huge masses of ice up and down with the tide beat against the piers and constantly threatened to carry them away but the structure was enormously strong the piles had been driven fifty feet into the river-bed and withstood the force of the stream and on the twenty-fifth of february the skelt was closed parma had from the first seen that it was absolutely impossible to drive piles across the deep water between the piers and had prepared to connect them with a bridge of boats for this purpose he had constructed thirty-two great barges each sixty-two feet in length and twelve in breadth these were moored in pairs with massive chains and anchors the distance between each pair being twenty-two feet 
all were bound together with chains and timbers and a roadway protected by a parapet of massive beams was formed across it each boat was turned into a fortress by the erection of solid wood redoubts at each end mounting heavy guns and was manned by thirty-two soldiers and four sailors the forts at the end of the bridge each mounted ten great guns and twenty armed vessels with heavy pieces of artillery were moored in front of each fort thus the structure was defended by one hundred seventy great guns as an additional protection to the bridge two heavy rafts each twelve hundred fifty feet long composed of empty barrels heavy timbers ships masts and woodwork bound solidly together were moored at some little distance above and below the bridge of boats these rafts were protected by projecting beams of wood tipped with iron to catch any vessels floating down upon them the erection of this structure was one of the most remarkable military enterprises ever carried out now that it was too late the people of antwerp bitterly bewailed their past folly which had permitted an enterprise that could at any moment have been interrupted to be carried to a successful issue but if something like despair seized the citizens at the sight of the obstacle that cut them off from all hope of succor the feelings of the great general whose enterprise and ability had carried out the work were almost as depressed his troops had dwindled to the mere shadow of an army the cavalry had nearly disappeared the garrisons in the various cities were starving and the burghers had no food either for the soldiers or themselves the troops were two years behindhand in their pay parma had long exhausted every means of credit and his appeals to his sovereign for money met with no response but while in his letters to philip he showed the feelings of despair which possessed him he kept a smiling countenance to all else a spy having been captured he ordered him to be conducted over every part of the encampment the forts and bridge were shown to him and he was requested to count the pieces of artillery and was then sent back to the town to inform the citizens of what he had seen at this moment brussels which had long been besieged was starved into surrender and parma was reinforced by the troops who had been engaged in the siege of that city a misfortune now befell him similar to that which the patriots had suffered at bois le duc he had experienced great inconvenience from not possessing a port on the sea-coast of flanders and consented to a proposal of la motte one of the most experienced of the walloon generals to surprise ostend on the night of the twenty ninth of march la motte with two thousand foot and twelve hundred cavalry surprised and carried the old port of the town leaving an officer in charge of the position he went back to bring up the rest of his force in his absence the soldiers scattered to plunder the citizens roused themselves killed many of them and put the rest to flight and by the time la motte returned with the fresh troops the panic had become so general that the enterprise had to be abandoned the people of antwerp now felt that unless some decisive steps were taken their fate was sealed a number of armed vessels sailed up from zealand and assisted by a detachment from fort lillo suddenly attacked and carried fort liefkenshoek which had been taken from them at the commencement of the siege and also fort st anthony lower down the river in advancing towards the latter fort they disobeyed santa aldegonde's express orders which were that they should after capturing liefkenshoek at once follow the dyke up the river to the point where it was broken near the fort at the end of the bridge and should there instantly throw up strong works 
had they followed out these orders they could from this point have battered the bridge and destroyed this barrier over the river but the delay caused by the attack on the fort st anthony was fatal for at night parma sent a strong body of soldiers and sappers in boats from kalu to the broken end of the dyke and these before morning threw up works on the very spot where santa aldegonde had intended the battery for the destruction of the bridge to be erected nevertheless the success was a considerable one the possession of lillo and liefkenshoek restored to the patriots the command of the river to within three miles of the bridge and enabled the zealand fleet to be brought up at that point another blow was now meditated there was in antwerp an italian named Gianobelli, a man of great science and inventive power he had first gone to spain to offer his inventions to philip but had met with such insolent neglect there that he had betaken himself in a rage to flanders swearing that the spaniards should repent their treatment of him he had laid his plans before the council of antwerp and had asked from them three ships of a hundred and fifty three hundred and fifty and five hundred tons respectively besides these he wanted sixty flat-bottomed scows had this request been complied with it is certain that parma's bridge would have been utterly destroyed but the leading men were building a great ship or floating castle of their own design from which they expected such great things that they christened it the end of the war Gianobelli had warned them that this ship would certainly turn out a failure however they persisted and instead of granting him the ships he wanted only gave him two small vessels of seventy and eighty tons although disgusted with their parsimony on so momentous an occasion Gianobelli set to work with the aid of two skilful artisans of antwerp to fit them up in the hold of each vessel a solid flooring of brick and mortar a foot thick was first laid down upon this was built a chamber of masonry forty feet long three and a half feet wide and as many high and with side walls five feet thick this chamber was covered with a roof six feet thick of tombstones placed edgeways and was filled with a powder of Gianobelli's own invention above was piled a pyramid of millstones cannon-balls chain-shot iron hooks and heavy missiles of all kinds and again over these were laid heavy marble slabs the rest of the hold was filled with paving-stones one ship was christened the fortune and on this the mine was to be exploded by a slow match cut so as to explode at a calculated moment the mine on board the hope was to be started by a piece of clockwork which at the appointed time was to strike fire from a flint planks and woodwork were piled on the decks to give to the two vessels the appearance of simple fire-ships thirty-two small craft saturated with tar and turpentine and filled with inflammable materials were to be sent down the river in detachments of eight every half-hour to clear away if possible the raft above the bridge and to occupy the attention of the spaniards the fifth of april the day after the capture of the liefkenshoek was chosen for the attempt it began badly admiral jacobson who was in command instead of sending down the fireboats in batches as arranged sent them all off one after another and started the two mine ships immediately afterwards as soon as their approach was discovered the spaniards who had heard vague rumors that an attack by water was meditated at once got under arms and mustered upon the bridge and forts parma himself with all his principal officers superintended the arrangements as the fleet of small ships approached they burst into flames the spaniards silently watched the approaching danger but soon began to take heart again 
many of the boats grounded on the banks of the river before reaching their destination others burned out and sank while the rest drifted against the raft but were kept from touching it by the long projecting timbers and burned out without doing any damage then came the two ships the pilots as they neared the bridge escaped in boats and the current carried them down one on each side of the raft towards the solid ends of the bridge the fortune came first but grounded near the shore without touching the bridge just as it did so the slow match upon deck burnt out there was a faint explosion but no result and sir ronald york the man who had handed over zutphen sprang on board with a party of volunteers extinguished the fire smouldering on deck and thrusting their spears down into the hold endeavoured to ascertain the nature of its contents finding it impossible to do so they returned to the bridge the spaniards were now shouting with laughter at the impotent attempt of the antwerpers to destroy the bridge and were watching the hope which was now following her consort she passed just clear of the end of the raft and struck the bridge close to the blockhouse at the commencement of the floating portion a fire was smouldering on her deck and a party of soldiers at once sprang on board to extinguish this as their comrades had done the fire on board the fortune the marquis of richbourg standing on the bridge directed the operations the prince of parma was standing close by when an officer named vega moved by a sudden impulse fell on his knees and implored him to leave the place and not to risk a life so precious to spain moved by the officer's entreaties parma turned and walked along the bridge he had just reached the entrance to the fort when a terrific explosion took place the clockwork of the hope had succeeded better than the slow match in the fortune in an instant she disappeared and with her the blockhouse against which she had struck with all of its garrison a large portion of the bridge and all the troops stationed upon it the ground was shaken as if by an earthquake houses fell miles away and the air was filled with a rain of mighty blocks of stone some of which were afterwards found a league away a thousand soldiers were killed in an instant the rest were dashed to the ground stunned and bewildered the marquis of richbourg and most of parma's best officers were killed parma himself lay for a long time as if dead but presently recovered and set to work to do what he could to repair the disaster the zealand fleet were lying below only waiting for the signal to move up to destroy the rest of the bridge and carry succor to the city but the incompetent and cowardly jacobzoon rode hastily away after the explosion and the rocket that should have summoned the zealanders was never sent up parma moved about among his troops restoring order and confidence and as the night went on and no assault took place he set his men to work to collect drifting timbers and spars and make a hasty and temporary restoration in appearance at least of the ruined portion of the bridge it was not until three days afterwards that the truth that the bridge had been partially destroyed and that the way was open was known at antwerp but by this time it was too late the zealanders had retired the spaniards had recovered their confidence and were hard at work restoring the bridge from time to time fresh fireships were sent down but parma had now established a patrol of boats which went out to meet them and towed them to shore far above the bridge in the weeks that followed parma's army dwindled away from sickness brought on by starvation anxiety and overwork while the people of antwerp were preparing for an attack upon the dyke of Covenston. if that could be captured and broken parma's bridge would be rendered useless as the zealand fleet could pass up over the submerged country with aid 
Parma was well aware of the supreme importance of this dike. He had fringed both its margins with breastworks of stakes, and had strengthened the whole body of the dike with timberwork and piles. Where it touched the great Skelt dike a strong fortress called the Holy Cross had been constructed under the command of Mondragon, and at the further end, in the neighborhood of Mansfeldt's headquarters, was another fort called the Stabrook, which commanded and raked the whole dike. On the body of the dike itself were three strong forts a mile apart, called St. James, St. George, and the Fort of the Palisades. Several attacks had been made from time to time, both upon the bridge and dike, and at daybreak on the 7th of May a fleet from Lillo, under Hohenloh, landed five hundred Zealanders upon it between St. George's and Fort Palisade but the fleet that was to have come out from antwerp to his assistance never arrived and the zealanders were overpowered by the fire from the two forts and the attacks of the spaniards and retreated leaving four of their ships behind them and more than a fourth of their force upon the twenty-sixth of the same month the grand attack from which the people of antwerp hoped so much took place two hundred vessels were ready a portion of these were to come up from zealand under hohenloh the rest to advance from antwerp under sante aldegonde at two o'clock in the morning the spanish sentinels saw four fire-ships approaching the dike they mustered reluctantly fearing a repetition of the previous explosion and retired to the fort when the fire-ships reached the stakes protecting the dike they burned and exploded but without effecting much damage but in the meantime a swarm of vessels of various sizes were seen approaching it was the fleet of hohenloh which had been sailing and rowing from ten o'clock on the previous night guided by the light of the fire-ships they approached the dike and the zealanders sprang ashore and climbed up they were met by several hundred spanish troops who as soon as they saw the fire-ships burn out harmlessly sallied out from their forts the zealanders were beginning to give way when the antwerp fleet came up on the other side headed by sante aldegonde the new arrivals sprang from their boats and climbed the dike the spaniards were driven off and three thousand men occupied all the space between fort george and the palisade fort with sante aldegonde came all the english and scotch troops in antwerp under balfour and morgan and many volunteers among whom was ned martin with hohenloh came prince maurice william the silent's son a lad of eighteen with wool sacks sand-bags planks and other materials the patriots now rapidly entrenched the position they had gained while a large body of sappers and miners set to work with picks mattocks and shovels tearing down the dike the spaniards poured out from the forts but antwerpers dutchmen zealanders scotchmen and englishmen met them bravely and a tremendous conflict went on at each end of the narrow causeway both parties fought with the greatest obstinacy and for an hour there was no advantage on either side at last the patriots were victorious drove the spaniards back into their two forts and following up their success attacked the palisade fort its outworks were in their hands when a tremendous cheer was heard the sappers and miners had done their work salt water poured through the broken dike and a zealand barge freighted with provisions floated triumphantly into the water beyond now no longer an inland sea then when the triumph seemed achieved another fatal mistake was made by the patriots sante aldegonde and hohenloh the two commanders of the enterprise both leapt on board anxious to be the first to carry the news of the victory to antwerp where they arrived in triumph and set all the bells ringing and bonfires blazing for three hours the party on the dike remained unmolested 
parma was at his camp four leagues away and in ignorance of what had been done and mansfeldt could send no word across to him the latter held a council of war but it seemed that nothing could be done three thousand men were entrenched on the narrow dike covered by the guns of a hundred and sixty zealand ships some of the officers were in favor of waiting until nightfall but at last the advice of a gallant officer camillo capazuca colonel of the italian legion carried the day in favor of an immediate assault and the italians and spaniards marched together from fort stabrook to the palisade fort which was now in extremity they came in time drove back the assailants and were preparing to advance against them when a distant shout from the other end of the dike told that parma had arrived there mondragon moved from the holy cross to fort george and from that fort and from the palisade the spaniards advanced to the attack of the patriots position during the whole war no more desperate encounter took place than that upon the dike which was but six paces wide the fight was long and furious three times the spaniards were repulsed with tremendous loss and while the patriot soldiers fought their pioneers still carried on the destruction of the dike a fourth assault was likewise repulsed but the fifth was more successful the spaniards believed that they were led by a dead commander who had fallen some months before and this superstitious belief inspired them with fresh courage the entrenchment was carried but its defenders fought as obstinately as before on the dike behind it just at this moment the vessels of the zealanders began to draw off many had been sunk or disabled by the fire that the forts had maintained on them and the rest found the water sinking fast for the tide was now ebbing the patriots believing that they were deserted by the fleet were seized with a sudden panic and leaving the dike tried to wade or swim off to the ships the spaniards with shouts of victory pursued them the english and scotch were the last to abandon the position they had held for seven hours and most of them were put to the sword two thousand in all were slain or drowned the remainder succeeded in reaching the ships on one side or other of the dike ned martin had fought to the last he was standing side by side with justinius of nassau and the two sprang together into a clump of high rushes tore off their heavy armor and swam out to one of the zealand ships which at once dropped down the river and reached the sea ned's mission was now at an end and he at once returned to england the failure of the attempt upon the Covenston dyke sealed the fate of antwerp it resisted until the middle of june when finding hunger staring the city in the face and having no hope whatever of relief sante aldegonde yielded to the clamor of the mob and opened negotiations these were continued for nearly two months parma was unaware that the town was reduced to such an extremity and consented to give honorable terms the treaty was signed on the seventeenth of august there was to be a complete amnesty for the past royalist absentees were to be reinstated in their positions monasteries and churches to be restored to their former possessors the inhabitants of the city were to practice the catholic religion only while those who refused to conform were allowed two years for the purpose of winding up their affairs all prisoners with the exception of teligny were to be released four hundred thousand florins were to be paid by the city as a fine and the garrison were to leave the town with arms and baggage and all honors of war the fall of antwerp brought about with it the entire submission of brabant and flanders and henceforth the war was continued solely by zealand holland and friesland 
the death of the prince of orange and the fall of antwerp marked the conclusion of what may be called the first period of the struggle of the netherlands for freedom it was henceforth to enter upon another phase england which had long assisted holland privately with money and openly by the raising of volunteers for her service was now about to enter the arena boldly and to play an important part in the struggle which after a long period of obstinate strife was to end in the complete emancipation of the netherlands from the yoke of spain sir edward martin married gertrude von harp soon after his return to england he retained the favor of elizabeth to the day of her death and there were few whose counsels had more influence with her he long continued in the public service although no longer compelled to do so as a means of livelihood for as holland and zealand freed themselves from the yoke of spain and made extraordinary strides in wealth and prosperity the estates of the countess once more produced a splendid revenue and this at her death came entirely to her daughter a considerable portion of sir edward martin's life when not actually engaged upon public affairs was spent upon the broad estates which had come to him from his wife end of chapter twenty one end of by pike and dyke a tale of the rise of the dutch republic by g a henty